If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to 1 John. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to say just a few things about uh, last weekend and uh, this week when it comes to uh, life at Merge. Uh, last weekend, uh, we did not gather the way we normally do like we, like we are this morning. Instead, we, we had two projects in our community where we went and served. Uh, one of them was uh, a good neighbor's house, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the other one was uh, Azel Manor serving some of the residents there by um, building uh, some raised gardens and uh, so they can do some gardening and uh, some other items. And, and I wanted to say... Uh, if you were a part of that this, the last week, uh, we wanted to say thank you. Uh, we are committed this year, every time there's a fifth Sunday, uh, to not do church as normally as, as we do, but we do it a little differently, uh, and we'll be getting some more. We learned a lot uh, in the process. In fact, uh, I learned that uh, if you have about 30 people, you can um, clean up a yard pretty quickly, uh, say like 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, and so I'd like to sign us up for next week, my house, uh, and just some light weeding, you know, mowing, you know, building a deck, digging a pool, you know, normal, easy stuff. You take about an hour of your life. Um, but then uh, on on the other, on the good neighbor front, uh, we we love the good neighbors program. We love partnering uh, with Servolution here in in our town because. Uh, they make it really easy to get the church involved in service. Uh, we, we don't really believe in mixing service and marketing. Uh, we, we long for um, to be a people who serve and to give uh, freely because God has called us to love the people around us. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of times when I say, hey, we, we're adopting a good neighbor's house, you think, well, it's about cleaning a yard or putting up some siding or building or painting, those kind of things. And really it's not. It, it's about being able to minister to people in, in our community. And uh, we, we've had that opportunity this week to get a C uh, service turned into ministry. Uh, we, I, we had told Servolution that we would like to adopt one of the houses as, as our ministry house. Uh, and so we put two people who represent Merge as ministry liaisons. Uh, and I, I got to see over the last couple of weeks Lane and, and Bethany Stoltz uh, really step into a gap uh, and love people, love God by, by loving people. Really more Bethany um, because she's smarter and uh, Lane's more of an idiot like myself. And, um, but watching them be able to, to share their story uh, there on on last Wednesday there was uh, a really painful moment in in the life of the family where Mr. Anderson uh, passed away and uh, that was a that was a first for Servolution and um, but getting to see God move over the last couple of days has been um, really special uh, and we believe we believe, we say this all the time we believe that everybody deserves a soft place to land when life gets hard. Uh, and and I, I've been so proud uh, to be able to be called part of Merge uh, this week as, as we've loved God by loving people. And so um, I say that to, to say if, if you weren't part of any of that, well then, you know, whatever. Oh, I'm just joking. Uh, I say that to encourage you to know that we long to be a church who serves our community. Uh, and that's one of the best ways that we do that. Okay, so as we say that, let's go First John chapter two. 
All right, is that all you wanted me to say about you, Lane? You sent me all those texts last night and said, yeah, and so uh, said if you don't mention me, I'm going to burn your house to the ground. And so, all right, so we are four weeks. Uh, we are walking through First John. Uh, we are four weeks in. We are in chapter two of it, uh, where where John has been connecting us really to the heart of the Father by opening our eyes primarily at this moment to, to one incredible truth. Uh, he comes in and he set, tells us that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. That God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. And this is a, a penetrating proclamation because it causes whoever hears that to respond to it. We have to make a move one way or the other. And John even helps us uh, see this by saying, in your life you will either walk in the light or you will walk in the darkness. Those are two contrasting arguments in, in our lives. And so, but, but he says, don't be confused. You can't have it both ways. So you, can't, you can't walk in darkness and then decide to go visit the light, much like, you can't, much like you can't live in the light and then decide to go spend the weekend in the darkness. He says it, it doesn't work because one reveals the other. And, and so to say we are in the light while walking in darkness, he says, will lead us towards deception and lying. And ultimately, it leads us to, to our undoing and that, that we can take a moment and we can remember that because this is typically where our defenses in the church want to grow up. And we will use this argument, well, I'm sure John is just talking to an unbelieving world when he's not. He writes this letter to the church. In fact, it was, it was largely believed that he was writing to a home church and what they would do is this home church would read the letter and then they would respond and then they would pass it off to the next one and to the next one. And in fact, that letter gets passed around so long that eventually it makes it into the canon of, of our Bibles. And so, so we would need to understand this, that John is writing to you and to me. And he's telling us these very same things. And, and he's going to speak into a body very much like ours in love so that we can be a people who are healthy, who love God, who put that lo- puts that love on display by living in a manner that reflects God's holiness. And, and the good news for us is that uh, John is not going to look at us and say, hey, you need to work harder for God's love. Uh, you need to work hard and then God will be more impressed by you, therefore He will love you more. Instead, what he does is he, he comes in and he says, he says, look towards Jesus. He says, you lean into Jesus. And, uh, and he's going to draw our attention to Christ as, and he's, he's done it so far by saying he's our advocate with the Father uh, because his light uh, and, and sin's darkness war against one another. And then he's going to tell us that, that Jesus is our propitiation. Uh, he uses this legal term uh, to and that's easily misunderstood, but when it's placed in the context of First John, what we find out is, is that Jesus, what it means is that Jesus satisfies God's holy law uh, for you and for me. And, and so, so, so John's really good. We said this, I think, two weeks ago, that John's really good about simplifying life with God. Uh, in fact, he says, if you want to know what it, what it looks like to be a Christian, there's, there's three main principles that you live by, that, that you know Jesus that you obey God, and that you love others. That if, if we would do those three things, we would know Jesus, we would obey God, we would love others, uh, we, we will be able to walk in health. And, and if you're walking in God's direction merely 
from a religious standpoint, uh, then you're going to struggle to see those, any of those three things play out. Uh, because we will always be tempted, uh, if you're walking in religion, we'll always be tempted to work harder to earn more of God's love. And when we do this, what it does is it makes it more difficult to see the cross of Christ clearly. And then uh, what it causes us when it comes to loving others is we're constantly looking over our shoulders uh, for our, our genuine and pure acts to see if God's looking so He's impressed, right? Have you ever, have you ever done this? Um, not that... Is Miss, Missy is in here. I don't know. Dang it. All right, men, have you, ever, have you ever cleaned the bathroom, but maybe you waited until your wife showed up so she can see you cleaning the bathroom? Right? Right? They can't hear me on this side of the room, right? That's where Misty is, so, right? That's what, when we, when we decide we're going to try to work in religion and we're going to try to impress God with our service, that's what, you know, any time we do that, we're, we're going to struggle. And, and so, this morning, uh, what we're, what we're going to see is this, a new line gets drawn in the sand because John's going to step right in and he's going to say, let's talk about worldliness. Let's talk about the relationship that worldliness has with godliness. Uh, and he's going to tell us in a very clear way, he's going to expose the weakness of what the world offers and what it tries to sell. All right? that, that's where we're going. Let's, let's pray and then we'll get going. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can open your word and we can hear your voice that Your Holy Spirit can speak to us. And what we pray this morning, Father, is that You would draw us closer to Your heart. That we would avoid walking in, in religious activity, but that we would pursue passionately our relationship with You. That we would see You as a loving Father who deserves our very best. We thank You. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, let's, let's read this a little bit. We're going to go through, then we'll break it up like we typically do. So John, alright, he's been leading us. We're jumping into uh, verse 12 in chapter 2. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because you're sent... We'll get to that. Yeah, you're like, well, who is this guy to call me little children? Alright? Uh, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers... Because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then, as most pastors will do, he will circle around and say pretty much the exact same thing, right? I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Then verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God, abides forever. Okay, so, so as we first, when we look at these verses, it seems like they don't really fit very well, right? Uh, it seems like at a glance um, that John has 
address in 12 through 14 one thing, and then he's addressing something completely different in 15 through 17. But as we walk through this this morning, what I'd like you to see is that they complement one another in a powerful way, uh, in a beautiful way. Because 12 through 14, what it does is it provides an encouragement. John steps up and he's going to say, don't ever forget what you have in Christ. He says, don't. Don't forget it. It becomes your motivation, that, that you belong to God. We know we have a perfect Father. We know we are part of His family. We know that heaven is our home. And then in verses 15 through 17, he brings an exhortation. Uh, he brings an appeal to us, something to consider, and really, in this case, something to avoid. He'll say the, the argument is built upon the assumption that if we believe verses 12 through 14 to be true in our lives, then it is hardly conceivable that we would give our hearts or give our affections to the things of this life. This is, this is what John says. If you really know who you are in Christ, then you're not going to give your heart away anywhere else. And, and if we know God is Father, we're not going to set our hearts on, on fleeting and transitory things of a system and a worldview that, that the Bible says stands in defiant opposition to Him. And it's, this is the line of the sand that, that we're going to be wrestling with this morning. I don't know if you were interested in doing any heavy lifting this morning, but we are going to do some, because this is essentially what John tells us to, to try to answer. Do I truly believe God is big enough to satisfy my desires? Do I truly believe God is big enough to satisfy my desires? And if you answer yes, and, and you answer truthfully, okay, uh, then the appeal of verses 15 through 17 won't be as difficult to navigate. But if the answer to the question is no, or I'm not sure, or if you're like me sometimes, God help my unbelief, then, then John wants to appeal to you through the lens of verses 12 through 14. He wants you to cuddle up next to that and say, hey, hold fast to these truths. And so that uh, we can live in the light and we can overcome living with a divided heart. And so, so let, let's start in 12 through 14 uh, where John says, know who you are in Christ and know what you cannot lose. Know what you can't lose. John's going to, he uses three descriptors, right? He, he calls us children, little children, right? Which you took great offense to. I'm not a little children, I'm a big kid, right? So he, said, he says little children and he says fathers and then he says young men. Okay? And each of these des describers are helpful to us because I believe as, as you look, we're, we know John's not talking about young people, older people, and, and then, or maturing people and older people. Really what he's addressing is, is new believers, right? When he says little children, he says, I'm talking to you little, to you little children, you, you new baby believers, right? And then when he calls us fathers, he's talking about old believers, uh, people who should have the wisdom that comes from living a full life. And then thirdly, when he talks about young men, he's talking about maturing believers. This is where he places us, because what he says in each of these descriptors are, are really helpful when you think it, through it in these lines. So, so let's, let's kind of start here at the beginning with verse 12. And John, 
If you want to follow along your talk notes, you're welcome to do that. Uh, the first thing is that John wants us to remember that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. I write, I'm writing to you, new believers, you baby believers, right? Just staggering around trying to own the world. I'm writing to you to let you know that you are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven for His namesake. And now this is the, this is one of, if not the, most simple, most basic truths of Christianity. That we've been forgiven of our sins. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. That, that this speaks to both the person and the work of Christ, especially in His perfect and atoning work. This is why, why Jesus has come, right? We can go back to Matthew chapter 1, and an angel is revealing himself to Joseph, and he's talking about Mary, and he says, take heart because she's going to have a son, and He will save His people from their sins. That's the role of Christ. So, so 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 7 reminds us that Jesus cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. That He's faithful, uh, in verse 9, to forgive us all of those sins for those who trust Him. And, and so, so having run to Jesus as our advocate and our atonement, we've been welcomed by God into the family. We, we now become one of God's kids. And so, so John wants this to stay close to our heart and to never doubt it. To never doubt it. Never, never leave this. Never, never listen to the eyes of the enemy that says that your sins have taken you outside the reach of God. There, there were a few parts in the Christian life, and we, we say it this way all the time, you don't graduate from it. You don't. In fact, the more you mature, the more you, of your understanding of the forgiveness of God becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Because the more we mature, the more, we, more clearly we see the cross of Christ. The more clearly we see the weight of our sin and the incredible power of what Christ has done for us. And so, so we'll never outgrow the forgiveness of God given through Jesus. And then secondly, John wants us to remember this thought that, that you know the Father. That you know God. Not, not abstractly, not theoretically, but you know Him intimately through Jesus. He says, I'm writing to you, Father. This is uh, verse 13. I'm writing to you, Father, because you know Him who is from the beginning. And now that could, be, that could either be the Father or the Son. Okay? I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Verse 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know who, Him who is... From the beginning. And the beauty of the statement is its simplicity. That, that the one who is God doesn't have to be big God. But he can be as Jesus has referred him to be as Father. He is a good Father. He is a great Father. He is a, a perfect Father. Which, by the way, we've never seen before. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know your relationship with your dad but he was not perfect, right? And if you're a dad, you would know this, right? You know how imperfect we can be. And understanding this, this is the way Jesus helps us understand the Father. He's perfect. He's not a reflection of the dads that we have. He's the perfection of the dads that we have. 
And so, so, so he comes in and he says, you know him. You are no longer his enemy because your sins, apart from Jesus, uh, put you at odds with him. But because of Jesus, you are no longer an enemy. But through forgiveness of those sins, through the gracious adoption, we've come to know him as dad, as Abba, Abba Father. And so the promises of forgiveness, the knowledge of God, reflect, it reflects this new covenant that we find in, in the book of Jeremiah. All right, if you've never read uh, the book of Jeremiah, it's in the Old Testament, it's in the middle. It's a pretty good one, right? Um, there's some hard places. Uh, but, but in it, we find these promises that God gives us, and one of them is this. This is, I think, what John kind of alludes to. Uh, when God says this, Behold, the days are coming. This is chapter 31, if you want to write it out. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, so with my people. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's We can go back to the you know um, Prince of Egypt time, right? When we're, let my people go, that kind of thing. All right, you're with me? All right, my covenant that they broke. Okay, so remember this. The nation of Israel, they're slaves in Egypt. God brings them out into the wilderness. He gives them refuge. And then He gives them the law to help them understand not only how to work as a society, but His holy standard. And He enters into covenant with them. And every time we see a covenant that God reestablishes, it's because His people have broken it. And so he comes in here and he says, uh, for this covenant, I'm sorry, uh, for the day when I took them out of the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So we get to live in the midst of this covenant. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. What is What what a staggering proclamation from God. They'll be my people. And I will be theirs. No longer shall each of one uh, teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know all. They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so... So how we relate to him as dad is telling of where our hearts are at. That, that the rebellion of a child is an indication of their dissatisfaction with their parent. That's ultimately what it is. The rebellion of a child. And I know this not about my own kids, I know this about my own heart. That when I choose to rebel against my Heavenly Father, it's because there's some sort of dissatisfaction in my relationship. And that's why, that's why I think in the Old Testament, why we spend so much time talking about the family dynamic. Uh, it's, why, it's why there are moments in the Old Testament look more Jerry Springer than anything else uh, that you can actually see on Jerry Springer. That's not even a relevant show anymore, is it? Um, like, there's kids like, who's this Jerry Springer fella? Um, but that's, that's the makeup of it. Because God has very clearly come in and He says, you will never find a perfect earthly father but you will find that in me. 
you will, you will be able to know this about me. So, so when we trust, when trust and love is established in a relationship, you can see unity. You can see submission at play, even in moments of conflict. And, and so, so what John tells us is that, that you know, you understand the heart of the Father. This is what he's telling you, you, you fathers, you know this about your Heavenly Father. You know His heart. And that understanding is that He is for you. He is your protector, your provider. He's the one that cares for you the way fathers should, should care for you. Even when the rebellion of your heart springs up, He always shows you where health and holiness is. He never hides it. He doesn't feed your... But neither at the same time does He feed your temper tantrum for ice cream by giving you ice cream. He'll never, he'll never do it. So our third thing. It says you are victors of the faith. I'm writing you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so, so again, young men, these are, these are those of us who are maturing in the faith. Uh, one of the commentators that I read calls them the warriors of the faith. Uh, they're actively engaged in spiritual warfare against Satan. And, and John says there's three distinct observations about those of us who are maturing. He says, I don't want you to forget this. And he starts with this. You are strong. Because you're strong. In fact, he says, ultimately, you're, you're much stronger than you tend to give yourself credit for. And I think this is, this is, if there's a recurring theme that I hear when I get to spend time with Christians, it's, it's simply this. We don't realize how strong we actually are. We don't. We, 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 we pick up five-pound weights and we curl them when really we should be picking up 50-pound weights and curling them. And you pick up five pounds and you get bored with that, Right? You say, well, I don't, I don't feel like I'm gaining. I don't feel like I'm getting stronger. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God is looking at you saying, well, stop picking up five-pound weights. You're past that. Now, you might have been. That might have been as strong as you were at some point. Especially when you were young, right? Let's put a, a five-pound weight in one of the baby's arms and see how they do, right? But the older they get, the easier that weight becomes. And what we forget, so, so what happens is people get bored in life with God. They say, I don't feel the same way that I used to. I don't feel like I'm getting any stronger. And God's saying, well, you're not adventuring me any further than where you've been. You're not picking up any more weight. And so we get bored. Then we're malnourished. So I just don't hear God speaking to me in His Word. I mean, every day at 9 o'clock I get a notification. That's my verse of the day, and that's what I read. It's a five-pound weight for some of us. It is. And what we don't realize is that when the muscles strain, that's when the growth happens. When the faith is being put into action, that's when the growth really starts to take place. And, and John says, you are strong. And as you abide in Jesus, you have strength that is unimaginable. And then he says, the Word of God abides in you. The Word of God abides in you. You haven't been saved and then abandoned. No, you have the Word, both the Bible and the Son. 
right? And they abide in you. More specifically, it's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says. I'm bringing you, I'm sending you a counselor and he will remind you of the things that, he will be my spirit, he will remind you of the things that I've taught you. And so, so they hide in your heart, as the psalmist says, so that we might not sin against God, that, that every battle that is fought in the Christian life can be fought with the word. Every single battle. Everyone, that, that there's no temptation we cannot overcome by the looking at the Word. We're, we're promised by Jesus that one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit is that He would remind us of these things, of what life with God should look like. Uh, in fact, we, we, sang, we sang just a second ago in a bridge that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the Word of the Testimony. That, that we overcome by Jesus and what He has done and by the Word of God in as it advances into the darkness. And so Satan will, will accuse. In fact, uh, our, our strength in the Word leave us, lead us into victory over, over Satan. And it says, you have overcome the evil one. And there's no doubt in my mind that our strength and our ability to defeat Satan is a, from a twofold source. From the Son and the Word. Right? You ever try to take on the darkness by yourself? You get the snot beat out of you. You do. So Satan will accuse us on, on the one hand and he'll try to tempt us on the other that the work of Christ answers his first tactic that the, and the word of God addresses the second that when Satan accuses me of sin, I trust the work of Christ. I trust the work of Christ. My debt has been paid while Satan can hurl accusations all day long. He has nothing to condemn me with. Romans chapter 8. You spend some time there. Beautiful. Beautiful. And then, so these verses, 12 through 14, they're incredible truths that he says, he says, he says, guard it. He says, cherish it. Put it close to you. Don't leave it. Don't set it down and walk away from it. He says, keep it close to you and remember these things that, that you are forgiven, that you know the Father, you are victorious, you are strong in the faith, that you don't have to leave these because they're reminders given to us in the moments in our lives when we feel the call of distant lands. And that's why he leads us to 15 through 17. And we won't take near as long in those, okay? Some of you are like, dang, this guy's on his birthday, he's going to die. Um, I don't know whose voice I just did, but it was one of you. It was one of you. So what John tells us, 15 through 17, is, is, is here's what you need to know that the world cannot do. Here's what you need to know that the world cannot do. So he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so, so he comes in and he says this. He says in verse 15, he says, the world cannot give you what you need. He says you can't. And now let me just preface all this by saying, this, this isn't preacher talk, Okay. Because I struggle with these. I struggle with what he's told me. I, I struggle with this pull in my own heart. That when John says the world cannot give you what you need, I hear that and I agree with that, but I still feel the temptation to not want to believe all of that. Okay? So I don't, I don't come to you saying, hey, 
suck it up, buttercup, do this. I'm saying, this is hard. This is hard. The world is selling 24-7. Always selling with the promises of, hey, this is what you need, right? The next job, the next relationship, the next house, the next car, the next opportunity, the next, the next, the next. If you can just get the next, then you will be satisfied, which is what we want. Realizing that satisfaction and security, boy, they are really close. Really close. And this is the thing about needs. We think of it as achievement when really it's an appetite. Because is is it true that one day you bought a new car and you said, I really need this new car. And then there will be a day later that you say, I really need a new car. Right? You ever been to a garage sale? You ever had a garage sale? And you feel guilty about selling something that you worked so hard to get and now it's junk to you? It's not an achievement. It's an appetite. And the problems with appetites is is we have to manage them. We have to understand that if we let them run loose, we become gluttons. And they begin to take over. And so, so the world cannot give you what you need because it's incapable of providing your greatest and your deepest need. You can't do it. In fact, it's not about a new job. It's not about a new relationship. not about a new house. not about a new car. Your first and deepest need every single day of your life. You don't realize this, but this is true. Your first and your deepest need is that you would be able to live in the light as God is in the light. That happens only through Christ. The world can't give you Christ. Then secondly, verse 16, he says, the world cannot give you what it promises. So not only can they not give you what it needs, what, what it says you need, it can't, it can't deliver on the promise of it. In fact, uh, John Meridia says this, uh, because in, in, in here, we talk about the desires of the flesh and the eyes and possessions. And so he says, the desires of the flesh appeal to our appetites. Desires means cravings, lust, or passion. The word, it's neutral. You realize that. The word desire is neutral, uh, but the, the object determines whether such desires are good or bad. John tells us that the worldly desires are of the flesh. The flesh may sometimes refer to the whole person, but here it, it denotes that tendency is bent towards human who fulfill natural desires in a way that's contrary to God's will. Then he says the desire of the eyes appeals to our affections. He says our eyes, like our natural desire, they're not evil. In fact, it says in Proverbs chapter 20 that the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord makes them both. However, the eyes are windows to the mind or to the soul by which sinful desires enter in. This is, this is what Jesus talks about when, he, when we get into the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus tells us so often to guard our hearts. He says, you know, when you, when you run off with your mouth, it's not because your mouth has gone out of control. It's because your heart has. And then the pride in possessions appeals to our ambitions. The pride is, is vain glory, boasting or arrogance. It refers to the bragger who exaggerates what he has in order to impress others. It's the, the I, me, and my person. Pride of possessions or pride of life speaks of the person who glorifies himself Rather than God, he makes himself an idol, uh, or he, he or she makes an idol of their stuff, their career, their achievements, their social standing. 
They suffer from affluenza. Pride, power, possessions, prestige, position. That's written by a pastor, by the way. Um, are all what life is about. And this person fails to see Jesus as the King of glory. So he says the world can't deliver on its promises. Can't do it. Then lastly, he says the world can't give you what will last. The verse brings a conclusion to John's argument as as he contrasts two loves, right? Two lives, two approaches to life. Why uh, side with the world? This is what he's saying. Why would you side with the world? It can't give you what you need. It can't deliver on His promise. And everything that it does bring you is fleeting. Everything it brings you is fleeting. I had a youth pastor one time that I was shocked to hear him say this, and, but it's so very true. He says, sin is fun for a season. Or else we wouldn't be dealing with it, Right? And this is, this is where John takes us. He says it's fleeting. He says it doesn't last really any longer sometimes than the moment of your encounter. So he says, why give your life to an empty imitation, a, a worthless fake or a temporary illusion that the world, this evil, deceptive system of Satan is continually passing away with its desires? Let, let's start wrapping this up, son. I'm going to take you... I'm going to take you to a place, and we don't, we don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. But there's a, there's a person in the Bible that I think is one of the most tragic of them all. And we don't know a lot about him, but there's one line in particular that it breaks my heart, and I think fits very, not nicely, but, but helps support what we're talking about. So there's, there's a guy in the Bible named Demas, D-E-M-A-S. All right? He was walking with Paul. We, we hear about him just a little bit in... Uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1 where or, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 4 where he's working alongside Luke as the gospel is advancing uh, and, uh, and then along the way he's listed with 10 other guys a couple verses later and, uh, and, and, but then we don't hear about Demas again until the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4 and we're in this section where Paul is wrapping up 1 and 2 Timothy are incredible books uh, but at the end of this, Paul is giving some personal remarks, which I always find funny because we don't know any of these people. Um, and so, but he will, he will say at times comical things, uh, but he'll be like, hey, tell Jim I said hello, you know, that kind of stuff. And, but at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul has been placed in prison and he doesn't know what the next, not, not what the next day holds, he doesn't know what the next moment holds. And he believes that there's martyrdom on his horizon, and he starts to write. And it's this really caring moment. And he's, he says these words. Essentially, he says, he says, they've all left me. It's just me. It's just me, and I'm all, I'm all alone here. And he talks about Demas. And he says these words, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Do your best to come to me soon. Because Demas, in love with this present world, he's gone. He took off to Thessalonica. He heard the call of a distant land. 
And when I, when I first came across these verses, I, I, was, I was amazed at it because I'm like, I'm like, okay, how does that work? Uh, how, how do you get a walk with Paul? How do you get to serve alongside Luke? How do you get to see God do incredible things? How do you get to, how do you get to encounter miracles and people come into Christ? How do, you, how do you see that and then how do you all of a sudden say, I'm going to Thessalonica? Like, how does that happen? And every single time I think about Demas, the Holy Spirit reminds me of myself. <laughs> and he says, hold on. You hear that call, don't you? You feel that tension in your spirit, don't you? You, you go seek satisfaction because in love with this present world, don't you? And so this is, this is why John gives us 1 John chapter 2, verses 12-17. through Because he, he ends it by saying, Hey, don't give your heart to the world. Don't do it. This is, why, this is why we should always cherish our hearts in powerful ways. It's why we should guard our hearts. It's why, it's why husbands, you are tasked to guard the heart of your wife. Fathers, you are tasked with guarding the heart of your children. You are supposed to raise up men who know how important it is to guard the heart of themselves and those around them. Because guarding our hearts is the wellspring of our lives. So John comes in and he says, don't give your heart to the world because it won't, it won't pay off. Not, not necessarily that it dishonors God even though it does. It can't give you what you, what it, what you think it's going to give you. And some of us know that, right? Some of us know that and we live in the regret of that. Some of us know that and we've forgotten about that only to be reminded again that, oh yeah, turns out it's a snake after all. I thought it would curl up to me and I thought we could cuddle. Nope, just wants to bite me. So this is what John says. He says, don't fall in love with the world. But he doesn't just say that. That's, that's the issue with the church. The issue with guys like me. We come in, we say, God says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we forget what John has just told us before we, he says, don't love the world. He says, you don't love the world because you don't forget what you have in Christ. He says, you don't forget that you are forgiven. Don't forget that you get to know God as a father, not as a judge, not as an executioner, but as a father who cares deeply for his children. And then don't forget what he's, who He's making you to be. That you are strong. You are equipped. And you are capable. Our desire this week is that we love God. Bye. Please stand with me. Sorry, Chris. Chris ran over. That's why I've taken a long time. Um, apologize for that. As we wrap up, we want to make some things available to you. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. We believe if you have a burden that we are called by Christ to share that with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, there is no better time than now. We, we believe that He is our way to have a right relationship with God. He is our great satisfier.
I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love in Christ. We thank you for your word. Father, I pray you would make us courageous people who not not necessarily have the strength to not choose the world, but just the, the vision. You make it very easy for us to turn. So, Father, may we ask for courage. May we ask for willingness. And what we pray is that you would walk us through that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.